Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Today on Vulnerable, I get a chance to catch up with my dear friend, Mara Wilson. She has been so supportive of everything that I have done, and I've missed talking to her. Recently, I got to talk with her about my coalition, which she is now an official member of. Thank you, Mara. Thank you. Uh, And also, she is now letting out her second book, Good Girls Don't, uh, which I highly suggest you go and listen to on Scribd. Mara and I had a lot of fun chatting about our childhoods, but also about our time in college. She has a wild couple of stories that she's shared with me, and I hope you guys enjoy this episode of Vulnerable. Mara and I have been doing content together since like day one. She's my OG, oh, yeah. OG supporter. Yeah. And like, I love her for this. We're very similar. Are we? I think we are. That's a huge compliment. I think we are. <laughs> we're, we're both, um, we're both sort of like earnest musical theater nerd. Try hard. Yeah, we're totally. I think you try-hards. introduced me to that term, try hard. Oh, yeah. And I've used it ever since. Well, that's actually a big part of my, the thing that I just wrote. The thing, you know. The thing that the we are, book. that I'm actually here to promote. So you must go check this out. It's a fantastic premise written by a fantastic person. It's Good Girls Don't. Mm-hmm. And Scribd is releasing it as an audiobook. Yeah. Which, by the way, you've done audiobooks that you have not written, right? Yeah, I've done I've done probably about twelve in the past year. I love doing audiobooks. Girl. Seriously, it's one of my and favorite things. They don't pay things. bad. They don't pay badly. They pay well. And yeah, they pay well and it's fun because it feels like theater. Because you're doing so many different character voices and you get to really embody these characters and And you see them through. And you do see them through, you know? And it's it's I mean, I love animation. Love animation so much, wanna do more animation. Uh, but I feel like this feels like, like it's funny because animation feels sort of like Shakespeare and this feels more like, like I don't know, like musical theater or something to me. Like it feels like different kinds of acting. I think that because with, with voiceover uh, for animation, every single, every single word has to mean something because you're not doing it. Whereas so with narration- So that's why it's like Shakespeare. Yeah, whereas yeah. with narration, you're telling the whole thing. You're telling the whole story beginning to end and you're embodying all these characters, so there's like a really wide range. You know, it's funny because in the animation world, people shit on audiobooks. And I, you know, I haven't worked a lot in uh, the voice acting world because I kind of just like couldn't keep up with the um, the workload of mm-hmm. auditions that you get because with VO, it's a numbers game. It is. Until you become E.G. Daily, Tara Strong, and even even they like still audition. Yeah, Chris Sumner, all those. Yeah, oh, the big I love ones. them. I and love I interview them. I interview a, like most of these people on I Hear Voices yeah. with Will Friedle, and we've got this really cool contest going on right now where we're offering somebody a contract with CESD. Wow, for a year. I mean, I, I that's so funny because I think of you and Will as as voice actors. <laughs> Obviously, I think of you as like face actors too because you were on. We're TV. the strange hybrid. But but yeah, but but it really is the the sort of hybrid. I, You're I think part of us that. now, though. I I would love to be because I you mean, you basically yeah. you went away and you lived your life. Last I had heard of you before we started collaborating, you had gone to NYU. Mm-hmm. You'd become a writer. Yeah. Then you and then you had the you know you came out. You were I'm queer and you wrote mm-hmm. about it. And and then it was like, 
who is Mara Wilson? <laughs> then you pop up acting on Broad City. Yeah. In their amazing episode of uh, sort of like a Mrs. Doubtfire parody. Yeah. And One I of their mean, best episodes. I never, ever thought I would be on camera ever again. I think that being on camera gave me a lot of like body dysmorphia issues and a lot of, you know, I, I became strangely camera shy for a long time. Which is funny because when I'm actually in front of a camera and I'm actually like having a good time and I know the directors and such, I feel like I can come alive. And I, I feel like I, it feels very comfortable for me. But I, and I, I actually realized that a couple of years ago because I had to shoot a promotional video for something and the person that was helping me with it was somebody that I used to have a big crush on. And we knew it was not, it okay. was, it was, you know, like who it was, was it? no, it wasn't, it probably wasn't anybody you would know, but, uh, but <laughs> I, mean, I, I watched, me? <laughs> I watched the video, I watched the videos and like the outtakes and I was like laughing and I was having such a good time and I was like, oh, okay. I, I feel like I don't look good in photographs, but sometimes if I'm on camera, I can, I think some people look better on film than they do in photographs. And I think that maybe I'm one of those people. Yeah, the older so, I get, the more I realize that about myself. Yeah, there's some of us kind of come alive in that way. Yeah, I think there's something in the eyes. There is, and I think yeah. also my expression changes very quickly. So anytime I'm, you have, yeah, I think yeah. we're the same that so, way too. So yeah, so like, anytime you're in, like, there's a picture of me, and I'll be like, you know, I'll be making some some awful face, and it's because I was, you know, mid expression. You're like, I was emoting. Yeah, I was, doing I was my emoting. Job. But uh, I know what you're talking about. Yeah. I know exactly the pictures that that the people catch of you from when you were a child. Yeah, and those big beautiful eyes of yours. And just like I'm, you know, I love Baby Mara. Like, Thank you. I am absolutely. I just want to snuggle Baby Mara all the time. Thank you. I, I was. I was really. Yeah, I was. It's funny. I was a really funny looking baby. Like I've seen pictures of myself, and I look like like there's a picture of me and my grandfather, and we look the same. <laughs> but I was a cute toddler. I was a cute toddler. I, I made up for it in so cuteness. Cute. And then I was a very awkward adolescent. I was awkward too. Yeah, and very then awkward. and then I think like. You know, I was never particularly like hot in my twenties, and part of me is like, oh, maybe I'm gonna peak when I'm like fifty. You know, maybe I'll that. be like, maybe I'll be like a hot fifty-year-old. I think I mean, you're hot now. I think you. I think of of all the time I've known you, I think you look very, very good. I think you're like womanly. Thank I think you. there's an energy about you that. <laughs> well, because since you've come back into uh, understanding that media is a part of your life, mm -hmm. and that you've you have so much more agency with that, yeah, and like we are in a much more mental health focused world. Well, because I remember I've, there are times that I've talked to my manager about this and I'm like, yeah, sometimes I have anxiety about being out there again, being on stuff. And he goes, well, it was kind of a monoculture when you were a kid. Mm, I think accurate. probably when you were doing work, it was starting to fracture, mm. but they were trying. I think that yeah. they were trying to find a market for um, the differences because they so were. much of the same thing was out. But like now I, I always joke that I have an audience of bisexual librarians. And, and, you know, and, and like, like elementary school teachers love me, you know, and, Same. and, and yeah, and that's like, <laughs> like, that's who my people are. That's who my fans are. The people who are like the most real, they're, they're, you know, they're, they're those and kinds well of people and, and well, well read. read. <laughs> yeah. And they're pretty well read. Maybe they're in like, you know, maybe they're, they're aspiring writers themselves. Maybe they're, you know, actual writers themselves, that kind of like, maybe they write romance or science fiction or both or something like that. And that that's like. That's like my fan base, I think. But the fact that you even know what your fan base is, mm -hmm. is so um, reassuring as a person who is putting themselves out there because they know 
wh- who and what their community yeah. is. They we now have tools at our own disposal to look in the analytics of our social media or when you're going to comic cons and you're meeting people and you just yeah. have there's more ways of engaging with people now. Well, there's also uh, you have to realize and I think this is something that I struggled with a lot when I was young. You you obviously can't please everybody, but you're also just not for everybody. So let's go into good girls don't. Yes. Because this is a really meaningful book. You've already written a memoir. I have, yeah. Uh, and it was fantastic. Thank you. I have it. I have <laughs> it in my so library much. and um, I, I love it. Thank you. And um, it's really what I feel like, you know, opened the floodgates for me mm-hmm. to start critically thinking about creating a coalition, which you are. Yes, I'm a part of. Yay! Yeah, I can tell like I visually <laughs> say it, but we have, you know, coalitionforchildperformers.com and I've mentioned it when I did a book review of Jeanette McCurdy's book. Yeah, you, yeah. I'm guessing you I, read it, right? I did read it, yeah. And I sent her a message being like, hey, let me know if you ever want to talk. What did she say? She said that she would love to, Good. but she's super busy. That's that's, so, that's the feedback I got too. Yeah, exactly. Uh, okay. But and, and I completely understand that. Dude, after reading that book, so before reading the book, I was like, I'm not gonna read the book because I'm in talks for some sort of memoir and I don't know what I'm gonna do and I don't mm-hmm. wanna I don't wanna take any inspiration from it. And then finally, I'm like, I've been so like, I don't know what I'm gonna. I don't want to do a memoir. I just want to be an advocate or whatever. Yeah. And so I was like, I can't, I can't do it. I can't bring myself. But I, I did it. I yeah. listened to it through audiobook, and I purchased it. Mm-hmm. So I purchased it twice. And um, there was something about the audiobook being narrated by the author, where around the 71st chapter, she like breaks, mm-hmm. and it's because she's talking about herself as an 11 year old and how her mother coached mm-hmm. her into ED. And she broke as Jeanette reading the piece right. that she wrote. And it makes me think about folks like us and, 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 and people in general that are authoring their own stories and then yeah. having the opportunity to, to put their voice to it like you. Yeah, I think that for me, I think that I, I don't know if I could do that. I think that for me, I need some processing time, and that's another reason why I'm not on, I'm not on social media as much anymore because I felt like I was kind of putting things out there before I was ready to put things out there, and you know because you get the the dopamine rush of like oh somebody's liking my this yeah, thing that I said, sucks. but I'm a total addict for that. Yeah, probably. no, totally, but yeah. but everybody is I think to some degree it really is this this rush that you get so. I, I was like, okay, I'm gonna have to put more time and more thought into this. And also maybe the world doesn't need to know all of my thoughts and maybe the world doesn't deserve to know some of my thoughts. And I, I think that I had to step back even though that was something that I did for a very long time. Because I think I realized that for me, it's like, like I've seen a lot of, I lived in New York for 11 years. I saw a lot of experimental theater, a lot of performance nice. art. And a lot of it is very raw. And there's some I think that's very raw and entertaining on stage. And there's some that really wasn't. There's some where I was like, something feels like it's missing. And for me, I think it was sort of like it needed to be filtered. It needs to be filtered a little bit. And you- That's fascinating. The way that I say it is it's like, it's like coffee or tea. You know, you filter coffee or tea. You put it through some kind of filter. And for me, Trauma needs to be kind of filtered. It needs to be something that I've talked about. Like there was a reason that in my memoir, I didn't talk about my sexual orientation at all because I was only out to a few people and like, and like the people who had always known, you know, like my, my best friends and, you know, my siblings had always at least suspected. So there were, there were times 
when I was writing my memoir and I was like, maybe I could include this bit about, you know, telling a girl I loved you, I love you mm -hmm. when I was a teenager and how horribly that went. And then I was like, no, I'm not ready to do that yet. So I needed time, you know, I needed to filter it. And so I think though that some people don't need as much time to filter, although I get the feeling that Jeanette McCurdy also did do a lot of filtering. Like my sister said that she used to listen to her podcast a lot and it does seem like she did a lot of these things, but I don't think I could really share a story publicly that would make me cry. Because for me, I think I'm too, <laughs> yeah. I'm too, you know, and I have a lot of admiration for people who can do that. Yeah, it but, blew my mind. It yeah. blew my mind. But I will say, though, like you are taking that on in your own terms and it, with your own agency. You've written this book. And it, and I yeah. feel like it is a deeper expression of, you know, certain topics that you grapple with that it, a lot of people can relate to. It definitely is. And it. I was definitely nervous about writing it. And when I was writing it, sometimes there were times that were very hard to write. And a lot of these, a lot of the stories in it are stories that... I would tell to a group of people and they would get very quiet. Those kinds of stories. Yeah. You know, you share to your friends and your friends just kind of look at each other like, oh. Really? Oh. Yeah. There were just things like where they people don't quite know what to say. Really? Yeah. I like, feel like there's nothing that you could tell me that yeah. I would get quiet about. Well, we also had very similar experiences, I think. <laughs> so so probably. So you're a lot of your friends that aren't sort of yeah, aware. Okay. Yeah. That aren't, that aren't like. You know, some of them have like mental health issues themselves or things like that. But people who hadn't really been, you know, people who who hadn't been in the public eye didn't feel that kind of pressure. Or, or like one of one of the first stories in it is about I, I was on a cruise. My family went on a short cruise because my uh, my stepmother was named employee of the year at her work, mm -hmm. and so we celebrated by going on like a very short uh, Ensenada cruise. Okay, how old were you? Uh, fifteen. Okay. Sixteen. And we go on the cruise and there's like a dance club that we go to every night and it's just teenagers dancing. But on the last night, this girl came up to me and she was like, oh, my friend really likes you. You should dance with him. My friend is a really big fan of yours. You should dance with him. And I didn't want to dance with him because people weren't really dancing. They were grinding. Mm -hmm. And I didn't feel comfortable with that. You know, mm -hmm. I was like, no, I'm a good girl. You know, that's, that's okay for some girls, but that's not what I do. <laughs> and, but I felt like I had to. Because if I didn't, they would be like, well, what a stuck up bitch. Yeah. You know, she thinks she's so great because she's in movies. But you have to dance with this guy. So I went over. I agreed to dance with him. I, and I just kind of let my mind float out of my body for a while and then went back to the people that the, the people that I had made friends with already, the kids who were actually nice, who were actually friends and who actually respected me and my autonomy and mm -hmm. bodily autonomy and such. Mm -hmm. So, and I thought about that a lot because I, I, and I mentioned it to some friends once and they were like, whoa. Yeah, that is kind of a, like a hostile takeover. Exactly. Like it is a disturbing story. But I think that unfortunately, I think a lot of people, especially women, can relate to that. It's just that for me, it was it was a different thing. It was like, oh, okay, I feel pressured into doing this because he recognizes me as Matilda. <laughs> and also, it was very strange. Who is this guy? <laughs> yeah, who is this guy? I, I don't remember his name. I and don't so, remember his name. And so, yeah, so there's actually good girl in, in multiple ways here. Mm -hmm. There's the good girl that you were performing for your peer group, and then there was the good girl that in your mind you were like, I can't take, I can't have enjoyment in this, mm -hmm. conventional enjoyment of this, which it seems that everyone is having because I am good girl? Like, what, yeah. what do you make of that in your story? I mean, I think that there were, it, it was sort of a clash of these different good girls because there's the good girl that had to be nice to my fans. 
-hmm. There was the good girl that wouldn't be grinding with a stranger. There was the good girl that was the version of myself that I was performing to these kids that I had just met a couple days ago, you know, the kids who would quickly become my friends. There was, uh, you know, there's the good girl that has to smile and be polite no matter what. And so I was like, if I do this, are people going to be like, Matilda's a slut? If I don't do this, are people going to be like, Matilda's a bitch who won't even dance with her fans? I also was creeped out by the fact that he was a big fan of mine, so he wanted to dance with me. And I thought, the last movie I was in, I was 12. Right. So that is exceptionally creepy, even though, you know, he was 15, 16, too. You just felt like icky. It was just an icky experience. And I remember, like, there was a Missy Elliott song playing. And in the song, she's like, as she's in most of her songs, she's like, you know, demanding pleasure, <laughs> demanding her time, demanding her own, you she's know. She's queer, by the she's, way. She's, oh, yeah. She was queer the whole time. Oh, yeah. See the irony we of this? Knew. The full we circle. Knew. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but, but, uh, but, you know, I knew there was a reason why, like, I was always like, she seems really cool. And Queen Latifah, too. She seems really cool. <laughs> what is it about these women? But they, uh, they, you know, and, and I remember, like, her, her songs are about, like, you know, One Minute Man and all these things and Work It, where it's just like, where it's just like, now give me pleasure like demanding it and asking for what you want. And I remember thinking that is so alien to what I am feeling right now and to what I feel most of the time. To, to ask for what you want, I don't feel like I can do that. Yeah. So that was something. So I thought about that for a very long time and I didn't really tell very many people about it because I was like, this is kind of an icky story. The more you unpack it, the more significant it seems. Yeah, and it feels to me like like uh, like sort of this fractalized moment, yeah. you know, of this thing that's just kind of that like larger. lives in your memory bank. If you were to like, yeah, it's this it's this like tiny tiny part of like a thing that is the exact same shape in my life over and over and over again, and and uh, this repeating pattern. And so that's that's what I thought of. I was like, oh, this was like a tiny moment that you know was was like part of a bigger thing. And so I, that's, that's why I choose to open, I chose to open Good Girls Don't with that story because it was this clash of how do I be the good girl? You know, my dad would always say, you have to be nice to your fans. You have to be nice to your fans. It doesn't matter if you're in a bad mood. It doesn't matter if you're sad. It doesn't matter if you're angry. You have to be nice to your fans. You have to be why, polite. Why did he justify that for you? I think that he was afraid. But I think that he I was would have really been afraid, afraid as a parent to for you to talk to people, but that's me. Well, I think that my dad also is kind of a people pleaser. So, okay. you know, I think that for him, it was kind of natural. My dad is kind of, my dad's a more passive guy. My mother and my stepmother are both very like outspoken, you know, dominant women. Yeah. And my dad's just kind of like, no, don't, don't bother anybody. Don't, you know, don't, don't worry about it. It's not a big deal. I'm not going to think about it. I find it ironic that you were taught to be a good girl by virtually by a guy, but no, yeah. by society, no, but like I, your dad I, I sort was. of like, yeah. And, and you know what? It's not a fault to your dad. No. Because I feel like when we talk about stage parents, the more I unpack it on, on this, uh, this space here, um, the more I realize how groomed they are from an early, yes. early stage. Well, there's also, I mean, I didn't have a stage mother, but my mother had a stage mother. Really? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. My mother had the kind of mother who, would and when I was with my grandmother, my grandmother would kind of act the same way with me. She would tell me to name drop all the time. She would tell me to, you know, to ask for things all the time. When I was with her, and this is a big part of the story, I behaved like a brat because she kind of behaved like a brat. And she would talk about 
like she would always talk about how brilliant her daughter was and how smart her daughter was and how beautiful her daughter was. And my mom really resented that. She resented the pressure that she had from her. And in fact, like we were going through, this is another part in there. We were going through, uh, I think, like some photo book, you know, from my mother's of like back her back in the 70s. And she turned to this one page and just like covered her face, humiliated. And I was like, what was that? And I looked at her prom dress and her prom dress was cut really, really low, like mm. cleavage galore. Mm. And, you know, and my, and my mother was pretty busty. So it was kind of like it was a lot. Mm -hmm. And she said, your grandmother made me no lower the neckline. Oh, that speaks volumes. Mm -hmm. So that was what my grandmother would do. And she would do things like like uh, just this, the stupidest things. Like we went to a Renaissance fair and uh, there was like a woman playing the queen walking around. And she was like, you should tell her that we met the actual queen. <laughs> and I was like, she doesn't care. She's an actress in a Renaissance fair in Toronto. She doesn't care, you know, right. that. Right. But that pressure led to my mom. And I think that also led to my mom, you know, in technically becoming a stage mother, but never wanting that and always fighting that. And but always assuming being the like, position. But assuming the position of a stage mother. I never thought about stage parenting as something that's acquired generationally. Oh, yeah. I think it is. I think that there's there's something to that. I think... Uh, no, there really is when you yeah. think about it because um, women having desires for themselves, wanting to have their own agency, wanting to have their own jobs, but they weren't able to at certain times in their lives. Yeah. You know, There's pressures. also... Well, yeah, I think... Like, I think my mother, if she hadn't had five kids and been, like, lower middle class, if, I'm, if my parents had been, like, a little bit more well-off or, you know... I, I think that she probably would have gone into producing. She, I can see that. She had already wanted to be a producer. And if she had lived, I think she would have had, we had our own production company. That's right. She would have been producing things. She would have been making stuff for kids. And she would have been great at it. I think that there was there was something about like the business aspect, the sort of hustle aspect of it that like, you know, kind of like, like um, I feel like, like Joan on Mad Men, who starts out as a secretary who's just very in charge. And then eventually like starts her own production company because she's somebody who is very good at being in charge and very good at charming people mm -hmm. and is smart and knows what a situation needs. And that's kind of what my mother was. Yeah. So I, I, but I also think sometimes people will kind of write off any mother as a stage mother. And I oh, think yeah. that that's kind of a sexist thing, especially if the mother advocates for their child. Especially because stage dads are, are notoriously way harsher. Yeah, that's true. That's true. I mean, my dad wasn't. My dad was, you know, very nice and very kind. But I also think sometimes a mother will say, look, I don't want my child to be working these hours. I don't want my child to be working overtime. And they'll be like, wow, what a stage mother. We talked about that in the coalition meeting mm -hmm. uh, a couple weeks ago. We did. And it was it was very, very well stated. Yeah, because I think that there are some some mothers and probably some fathers, too, who get written off. They're, they're groomed, and that's where it's the grooming process, where it's like, I don't want to stand in the way of my child's dream. Yeah. I have to acquiesce. I have to I have to stand down. I've heard a lot of that, too, from, from a lot of people. A lot of kids who, especially ones who later struggled with addiction and such, they would say, like, oh, well, my parents were just like, oh, okay, we don't know how this works. Go ahead. Do whatever you want. I mean, that's crazy, right? It is, and yeah. it, it's really sad. And then, you know, you get these other people sort of acting in loco parentis for the kid, and it's... It's really hard. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. 
you have to be a certain kind of mom, I think. Like somebody that we were talking about before this who mm-hmm. who said that his mother was very good was Jonathan Lipnicki. Love him. Yeah, we Jonathan love him Lipnicki. too. Jonathan I want him to like, I want him to like, I want to either write or act in something with him. I need you guys together. Yeah. Because both of you growing up to me were the were the quintessential. You you guys and then Haley. Haley yeah. Osmond, and it was like, you guys were it. You yeah. guys were what everyone that I knew looked to, even if we were a little older. Yeah. Um, that's really, I mean, that's really flattering. Definitely Haley was for me. And Jonathan, yeah, Jonathan was too, because Jonathan was kind of everywhere for a while. Yeah. yeah. He was great. He was, you guys are great, actually. Thank you. And Haley's great too. Haley is great. Haley and I went to NYU together, but. Oh, no way. Wait, what was that yeah, like? Yeah, well, it was kind of awkward because it was sort of like we knew that if we hung out, I, people would kind of would laugh and people would like take pictures and stuff. So Did they? we would like we would like make eye contact sometimes. And we'd met before. And I remember because I remember telling him having like this huge talent crush on him when I was a kid and meeting him like once or twice before and being like, you're so good. You're so great. So good. But then. Know. Yeah. But then we were at we would be in like the dining hall together and we'd like make eye contact and then look away. <laughs> <laughs> and I think we were just kind of like, yeah, we've got our own. And You're I was like, this is too, too weird. Too expected. And I was a hermit at NYU anyway. I was in like an all-consuming relationship and, you know, just going to going to like my theater group parties where we would like draw each other nude for class. And, you know, I was in very, you know, like in a very theater. That's a vibe. Yeah. Is that in the book? Um, I think it was, or I think actually there was a part about it, and I okay. had to take it out because really? we had to cut cut things down. Oh man! But we did. We we all drew each other nude for a class. That's so cool. Yeah, and uh, and it was it was we would all get together and were actually. You, I was gonna say, were you out? Like, were you like, oh wait, this is interesting. This is something I'm doing. And I mean, like closeted. <laughs> no, I was I was closeted until I was like 27. Mm-hmm. Like. So that wasn't a sensual experience for you. That was more like, yeah, it wasn't a sensual thing. It was very much. It was actually kind of. Well, I, I, if you want me to tell the story, I can because it's actually really fun. Tell the damn story. Okay. So, and the teacher who did this <laughs> was kind of a creepy. Was kind of a. The teacher who did this was. I mean, a lot of art teachers are a little creepy. A lot of theater teachers are a little creepy. Oh yeah, acting but, teachers creepy. Oh yes. <laughs> but we we it was like a tradition because we were in these different groups, and this group were people that you would you would be with, like they were your class. Yeah, it was like a conservatory. Yeah, it was at NYU. So, so yeah, and they were different small groups, and so some of them like, and in my program at NYU there were some, and like there's still so many of them. Like one of them. Uh, one of them, his sister is my lit agent, and another one I'm, I've been talking to. He's uh, he's a act, an actor who works a lot for TV and commercials. His name is Michael Olivier. He's been on he was on Glee and Castle and like everything in the 2010s. He was just on Good Trouble. Okay. He's one of my dearest friends. He's a working and, actor. Yeah, he's a working actor, yeah. and he's he's so sweet and so adorable. Uh, just had a baby, him and his wife, and. Uh, and like soon we're gonna go to a friend's wedding together, and like all of us, so we're all good, still good friends. That's awesome. So we go to, um, but this is like a thing that we do that you know every year these these people do, and I we do it, and I'm really nervous. So I like find people on our floor, and I'm like, do you have any alcohol? You know, and I like I like do a shot of something because I'm so nervous about it. And then we all end up at uh, this dorm on Fifth Avenue. And we go there and we go into the dance room and we're all like, you know, stripping off. And then this being a freshman dorm, somebody knocks on the door and is like, you guys did not sign this out properly. You have to go. 
And because freshmen are like notorious about like, we have to follow the rules, guys. <laughs> so we're all like half naked and we're just like, oh, shit. OK, so we, we put our clothes back on and we go out and we're all really frustrated. And somebody's like, well, why don't we go to the dorm on Third Avenue, which is, you know, four avenues over. But we're only a couple weeks. This is this is the end of our first semester of freshman year. So we're like, wow, that's a trek when it's so cold outside. So we trek, you know, a couple avenues over and we go up to the penthouse of Third North, uh, which is the dorm. And we we go up there and we all start taking our clothes off, except for a couple people. There's some people there who like, maybe they're more religious, maybe they have some body issues, you right. know. But I think I'm they're like- they're doing the assignment though. They're doing the there. assignment. They're there to draw other people. Uh-huh. That you had to draw yourself nude, but you didn't have to show it in class. It was just to get practice with drawing a body. And then you had to draw somebody else nude. Was everyone over 18? Yes. Okay. Oh yeah. All like, over 18. Fuck? All yeah. over and 18. And this is something they do every year at NYU. They used to. I don't know if they still do. Yeah, I think okay. that, but you don't have to do it. That's mm. the thing. But it's theater students, so most people want to do it. Yeah. But it was also like, you don't have to, you don't have to do it. You can be a spectator if you want. Nobody's going to make you take your clothes off. Nobody's going to do this. Also, you can just go to the Met and draw a statue if you want. That makes sense. So we go there, but uh, what happens is somebody forgets to close the blinds. Oh. So they start getting calls in the penthouse because they're actually these two huge buildings that face each other. And people are calling saying, do you know there's a bunch of naked people on the top floor? Only in New York. And so we flip out. We're like, oh, my God, people are seeing us naked. And we see people over there like looking at us. And it's the worst because that is my worst nightmare come to life is, you know, somebody seeing me nude. And I'm freaking out and everybody else is freaking out. And some of the people are like, I can't handle this. I'm going to go. I'll draw a statue. They leave. And so this one guy, Chris, Chris goes up to to like to close the blinds and put a blanket over them, but he does that fully nude. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. So Chris, but Chris explained later that both his parents were doctors and kind of possibly nudists. So well, he was go. just like, I'm so used to seeing bodies that I just don't give a shit. So they saw me naked, but I don't care. But after that, it was kind of like the worst thing had happened. And so we all just kind of looked at each other and just started to laugh. And it was like, we had faced a terrible fear. The fear is, you know, somebody seeing you naked. Well, and you having body dysmorphia. Oh, yeah. That's definitely. a huge and 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 it definitely it's really a wonderful story because you didn't have to do it all by yourself like you yeah. did so many times before. So, we and honestly my my body dysmorphia at that point was probably more about my face, but after that, some people left and were like I'm too uncomfortable with this. We were like, "No, go. Totally fine." The rest of us hang out together and it was just really nice. And there was just a lot of mutual respect. There was nobody needed to do anything. Like, I think I took my top off, but I left like 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 my bottoms on and I had friends. You know, I, I think like we were just very respectful of, of each other. And there was like the guy that I drew, he, he was a dancer. So he had all these like beautiful back muscles and he was like, yeah, totally go ahead, draw me. Mm. And I remember my friend turning to me and drawing me and just going, Mara, you have very nice breasts. <laughs> but he meant it in like a purely aesthetic, yeah. friendly way. And wow. I was just like, I was just like, oh, thank you. And yeah, and I think we probably, some of us probably still have the drawings, but we all trust each other with it. And it felt really nice. And and I think it also, I don't think it like did much for like my sexuality, but like. Well, I think it almost sounds well, like it was the opposite. It was, but I will say that 
I was in a serious relationship about that time. In fact, I remember him asking me like, like, hey, so what are you doing this weekend? And I was like, oh, I'm getting going to a naked drawing party. And he was like, okay. Uh, but I also think that it did make me feel more comfortable to be naked in front of somebody, which uh, if you're in a long-term relationship with somebody and you're, you know, what's the word, not asexual, allosexual, you probably will be yeah. at some point. Right. So I think that actually did kind of help me to ease in to things. I was like, oh, okay, I can be naked in front of people and I can be comfortable with that. Yeah. So and you don't have to dissociate. Yeah. Like it sounds to me like you were fully present. I was. Yeah. I was. Whereas before, a lot of times it had been me trying to hide, hiding my face, hiding my body, you know, shame. Not, so, so much, much shame. shame. So much shame and not wearing, you know, not wearing makeup and just trying to blend into the background or wearing too much makeup and trying too hard to, you know, compensate for things and, and you know, and then being mocked for that. And yeah. so it was like a really, really beautiful moment for me. I think, and for a lot of the other people there too. Yeah, that's really that's a really cool share. Thank yeah, you. and that's not in the book, so that's no, it's not in the book, so that's an exclusive. <laughs> it's an exclusive vulnerable yeah. moment. With but Mara. I mean, I'd had no, I'd had nightmares for years because of so much of my my fear was people will know me, or people will see what I don't want them to see. So I was literally afraid of being naked in front of people, but I was also figuratively afraid of being naked in front of people. I don't think people quite understand the shape of fame. I'm gonna be very blunt. No, they don't. And 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 they think of it as this like golden uppercase letter existence. It's not a privilege um, when you don't choose it as an adult. No, um, it's not. And it's, it's, I think it's kind of unnatural because I think, super. I mean, I get very, I like to get very philosophical about, you know, well, we're technically all just, we're all just tribes of people, you know, yeah. that, that came from savannas, you know, yep. thousands and thousands of years ago. Yep. And so I don't think human minds are meant to understand being around more than 200 people, you know? And it's strange to me that I've met thousands of people. Uh, more than that. More than that. Right, yeah. yeah, I've met sure. thousands and thousands of people, and you that is thousands, strange to me. You meet thousands of people, or at least a thousand people, when you go to a comic con over a week. Yeah, definitely, yeah. definitely. Which I just did. I met I met a thousand people, you know, last weekend, which is so strange. Yeah. And and so and sometimes people will come up to me after at other conventions and be like, Oh, do you remember me? Oh yeah. And I'm like, and sometimes I do. I try. I try. Yeah, really I try hard to, to, to to locate that face and that I exchange. try to but a lot of times I'm like I'm like oh remind me of or this. show me a picture show me a picture yeah. of that and yeah. and there was one there was one person that I met who comments very nice things on my Instagram and so he he came and he was just like hi Mara my name's Toby and I was like oh Toby yeah I know you I know. you always post the nicest things on Instagram yeah. and his parents were there too and they were like wow you know him and I was like yeah he's very sweet yeah there, there's a little hack for anybody if yeah. you really appreciate somebody and you yeah. know that you'll meet them someday or you'll try to meet them just say nice stuff be yeah. kind fuckers. exactly <laughs> exactly <laughs> we just feel like your cat is so cute like there's and, this guy yeah. Rob, there's this guy Rob the Jedi. On oh yeah, on TikTok or something, and he's not a creator. He's literally just a fan. And mm -hmm. whenever I go live, he'll like donate flowers and he'll just he'll say nice things. And it's like I don't know why I know this guy's username. Yeah, I don't. He's not my primary demographic of yeah. you know bisexual lesbians. As you yeah yeah. No, the, the, what, the, what, the, what's a bisexual li bisexual librarian? Bisexual librarians. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Um, I have a lot of teachers. Yeah, me mean, too. But they might not know that they're bi. That's what. Oh it, yeah. <laughs> no, I have so many teachers too. So many teachers, teachers and librarians. Like I, I will go to some show and you know I'll go to a con and I'll be like, okay, 
how many people here are librarians? How many people here are teachers? How many people here work with kids? Did you or actually work in ask? Academia? I've done it before, and yeah. you would be, and like a third of the hands went up. So I believe it. So it's it's really yeah, but there there I think are you would people. Have, I, I was going to ask you, what do you think you would have been if you weren't an actor? I think about this all the time. I would I would yeah. think I realized I probably would have been a teacher. I don't know if I would have been a teacher. I think that I might have tried to go into journalism because I think that I I think that I'm I'm and my dad was actually my dad was actually a journalism major. Mm-hmm. So I think that I really loved words. I think that I really loved from a young age I really loved to write. I think that I wasn't a particularly good student growing up. But which you could read really people. early, right, or something? Yes, I was a good student when my mom was around. Mm. After that, I kind of fell off. I I was very easily distracted, and my mind was always on other things. I I mentioned to someone recently. I was like, I don't know if I would have you know gone to college or anything because I was such a bad student. And they were like, Well, no, if you hadn't been in acting, you probably would have been trying to people please your teachers. <laughs> so I might have been better at that if my attention had been more focused. Yeah, when you when you went to NYU, I know you were ready to go and mm-hmm. ready to leave LA, but like did you were, were people telling you like this is a big risk for you to go to school? Like, yeah, they were. And my dad was like, maybe you should take time off from school and try to work instead. Interesting. And I thought about that or he was like you could go into something else. Like my dad my dad literally told me that I should join the Navy. And I was like, I'm not joining the Navy, Dad. <laughs> For many reasons, I'm not joining the Navy. I would not be good in the Navy. Uh, but it's, I think for me, it was kind of like, it was kind of like I wanted more structure. And so what did I do? I moved to NYU, which is notorious for being like a go-getter school. Mm. Like there's nobody holding your hand at NYU. There's no communication between the different departments. They actually have a really high suicide rate. They do unfortunately. And I think that's also just because it's such a big school and it's such a big city. And for a long time, they, you know, it's hard. There's not much community there. You kind of have to find your own and that can be very hard for people. Uh, But I will say that they actually had, when I was there, they had great mental health services. Good. There was a 24 hour hotline you could call and I did call it and Mm -hmm. it could be something, it could be, people called it because a condom broke. People called it because they were feeling suicidal. I called it because I was having like an existential crisis once. Like I was taking too many philosophy classes and I was like, I was, I called them and I was like, I don't know why we're alive and and this is so weird and why are we here? And the person on the other line was just very calm and he was like, you know, you've got to separate yourself from the things that you're learning. You've got to live your life, you know, ground yourself in your own life. Led me through some breathing exercises. Great. And it was really awesome. That because is. because I was like, why do we live and why do we die and what happens and why and all of these things. And he was just like, you know, it sounds like you're really taking these things very seriously, which is good. But also you you shouldn't take it too seriously. Got to ground yourself in your life and what's happening in the moment, what's happening now. I know that they always publicize those 24 hour hotlines, um, but they really need to market them better. They do. Well, we got we actually had a show at NYU called The Reality Show where people <laughs> It was all the musical theater kids that would do it. And it's funny because some of them are like on Broadway now. Oh, and sure. like, like I think Anna Conkle, who was on Pen15, uh-huh. was in it. And um, a lot of like, a lot of people who are now like actual musical theater actors were in it. And they did, uh, they would, they did a whole thing where they would sing like funny songs about like, 
the the you know about safer sex and about you know finding out your sexuality and work life balance and body image and racism and oh the reality show all the so reality like, show so mm. it was it was you know dealing with reality and right. at everything they would be like okay and and also call you know this number you know you call nine 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 at at any time if any kind of problem happens like this that's great so they really drilled it into our heads and there was like stickers and magnets and like NYU. You know, like many large universities, didn't do everything right, but that was one thing that they really did. I was going to say, were well. you there when those kids jumped off? Like it was a couple was... years after. Okay, because because I remember seeing it um, that kids were you know in the library jumping off. Yeah, like that happened a lot, and that or I not a lot, there, but it happened though. a couple times. They just freaked out. They had a psychotic break. I think probably some people. Yeah, a lot of grad students had psychotic breaks, things like that. But NYU didn't cover it up. It was very much just like. You need to, and it was so high pressure. I mean, it is a very, it is a school that, I mean, you were, you went to Columbia? Mm-hmm. Yeah, Columbia has a campus, NYU doesn't. I went to Barnard. Or you went to Barnard. Well, yeah, Barnard. Well, no, I mean, I, it's like I went to Barnard, but I went to film studies, and I also took 12 years to finish. So, right. like, every time I, like, came back, I was older and they were younger. Yeah. It was like that movie. Yeah. With Matthew McConaughey. Yeah. Oh, my God. And it was just, it was really, actually very fascinating to have experienced college like that yeah. on my terms. Mm-hmm. Because like you, I knew I had potential for academics, and, and but I feel like studio teachers, back to what we were talking yeah. about with, I'm not a fan of studio teachers. I am, but I had, I had some of the best teachers that I ever had as studio teachers. Maybe but, on film sets they're better, I don't know, but like, yeah, I, I maybe on your high budget, amazing. They are movies very, you made. very. No, it is a it. It's they. Yeah, it, it. They. They kind of. They can be very good or very bad. Okay, so and and that's the thing is I actually don't mean any disrespect to the community. I would think that's a, first of all, teachers need support. They do. Obviously, if these folks are put in situations where they feel like their hands are tied on set mm-hmm. and they have kids around them, there's no infrastructure which we. C- consistently have been saying and meeting and, and building and trying to trying to figure this out on our own. But there's no infrastructure for them to really teach and do their job. There isn't. And it's very hard when you're going to a school at the same time because a school won't want to give all the work and you will inevitably fall behind. And I think that for me, I struggled a lot when I went back to school because I was used to individual attention. Oh, yeah. And that's something sure. that I wrote a lot about in my book where I suddenly would go back to school and I would be like, Everybody's playing kickball, but I don't know the rules. I can't go up and go to the bathroom at any time. You know, it's a little bit like the beginning of Mean Girls. Yeah, I was just thinking. Yeah, just yeah. Like, where where suddenly I was like, but how does this work? And I don't understand. And I I felt like it was it was strange because it was very structured in some ways, but also much less structured than a film set. Yeah. And also nobody was going to tell me you need to do this, you need to do that, which is what they do on a film set. Right. So I really I, I felt kind of lost there. Right. And it was hard for me to be like oh, this is when I do my homework and this is it. And it got even harder after my mother died because I didn't have anybody checking to make sure I did my homework because my dad was working nonstop and raising four other children. And I I would be focusing on, you know, learning my lines for an audition instead. I would be focusing on that. And so there was one semester in my life that I got straight A's. And that was in college. And that was probably the best summer of my life. And I took classes there and they were all classes that had an amazing impact on me. Right. One of them was autobiography writing. How funny. Yeah. Another one was uh, ethics. Okay. Yeah, ethics of, like, philosophical ethics. I think I also took classical mythology, and there was something else. There was another class that I took, 
And yeah, and I got I got A's that summer. And my my dad called me his straight A student. And I was like, don't get used to that. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's funny, too, because when we look at um, I've talked about this with my husband, who also he was in the Marines. And then he mm -hmm. went then he, after that, he went um, to a community college and was able to transfer from community college to Columbia and then went there on the GI Bill. Yeah. And so like he he got in through the back door. I got in through the back door because we knew somebody on the board and like I had happened to be on TV. So it's yeah. like they that made them look good. I know they've been able to recruit people because NYU you know, was letting in a lot of child actors at the time. Yeah. You know, it was it was first it was the Olsen twins, then it was me, then it was Haley, then it was there was somebody else who came after. Uh-huh. I can't remember who it was, but yeah, a lot of people were joking about that at the time. Oh yeah. I mean it's 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 smart for them. I think they like to be able to say, oh, so-and-so came here. Mm -hmm. But, um, or they think we're going to give them money, but. I mean, yeah, uh, no. <laughs> Sorry, guys, you, you, you already got Exactly, you already got enough. You, you have got enough. a lot of money. You don't mm -hmm. need my money. Um, but yeah, I mean, it was interesting to see how, you know, his experience of public school and I went to private schools and he's just like, look, like most schools are geared up towards creating workers in mm -hmm. industrial uh, capacities. Yeah. Um, they're not build, built for artists and thinkers and philosophical people. Yeah. Until you get to college, you can't really experience that. So he was yeah. not a good student. He managed to become a good student after the Marines. Um, but then it was like seeing him at Columbia, he was, it was, it was really wonderful. And I hope, and I, and it's hard. My daughter, one of my daughters is totally like that artist, mm -hmm. you know, we d we think she might be gifted. We're gonna yeah. have to go get her tested. But conventionally, she's got problems with her numbers. Like her Z's are backwards. Right. Like there's things that are, you know, we're gonna guide her through. There's no simple fix for yeah. Everyone's well, different. I've also seen, you know, I've I've known people for whom, like I dated somebody like this, and one of my brothers is like this, where they needed to add like an extra gifted program for them because the standard gifted program wasn't enough. Mm. And That's I've known, fun. yeah, and and <laughs> whereas I probably would have been fine if they abolished, like I was in the gifted program, but I, I would have been fine if they got rid of it. Yeah. My sister and I talked about that, but then we talked to our brother about it and he was like, no, I needed it. I really needed that because I, I would have gotten really bored and it would have been, it could have been destructive. And I know that like another one of my siblings said that he, like my brother said that he didn't like school because he thought that he could go there and ask questions. And they would be like, no, you're asking too many questions. Stop. Yeah. Because that's really, not what it's about. That's yeah, it's about and, receiving yeah. information. Not. And also he was like, you know, a lot of a lot of kids, especially young boys, are like rambunctious and want to play, mm -hmm. you know, want to fidget. And they'll be like, don't do that. You gotta sit down, you've got to be in your seat, you've got to do this. Yeah. I, I mean, I also think like I just finished reading uh, or actually listening to Sebastian Jurgen's book, uh, Tribe, uh-huh, which is all about like communities. And one of the things he talks about a lot is how People who come out of the military often miss it because they miss feeling like they're a part of something. Well, and they also make you feel like shit for being a civilian. Yeah, exactly. That's true. So he talks about how, and and a lot of times he says the thing that makes PTSD so much worse is not only that you've seen horrible things, but that you come back here and you don't have the support anymore because you're, you know, you are technically a civilian now. Mm -hmm. And also there's no support system for veterans. So, and that I think is something that, and you know, it's, I can, it's, I can relate to my husband um, uh, as being a former child actor from him being a veteran. Yeah, which you wouldn't think <laughs> that you would have a lot in common, but. No, right? Well, that's another reason why I think my parents didn't want me to do TV shows. Oh, really? Because, I didn't know that. Because there's so much, first of all, because the, the parasocial relationship thing is like we saw, 
you know, we knew Jonathan Taylor Thomas and we would see how like girls would grab his shirt and, mm. you know, people would want to, you know, it, it, it was it was very much like there was no boundary between them because people were used to him being in their living room. Yeah. But people, I think also, I think it's also hard for kids because if you're on a TV show, those people become your family. And when it ends, it feels kind of like a family breakup for some kids, I think. It is. You're extremely displaced to begin with. Yeah. Um, just to be able to be somewhere for that amount of time, 12 hours a day. But yeah. Then, yeah. I mean, I've, I think people listening to this podcast hear these recurring themes with me and they're just mm -hmm. like, I'm not bored of these themes because they affect me and they impact me. And I know that people find this interesting. Yeah. Um, but m most importantly, I think, is that you are doing what you can to write authentically mm -hmm. in a way that I feel like is going to be received by the masses, right? Because, yeah. you know, not everything out there is going to be all the tea, all of the, you know, the disordered eating and all of the trauma and all that stuff. Right. Some of it is topical in a way that everyone can relate to. I was like, maybe I could write another nonfiction book. And then I was like, maybe I'll take some time off of that for a while. Maybe I'll write fiction instead. I'd love maybe, to read your fiction. Yeah, maybe I'll, I'll can you write do about like, mythology. Oh, I, I mean, I do love mythology. I'm saying. I really love mythology. I, I do actually have an idea that is kind of based in mythology See? that I've been, that <laughs> first I thought would make a good TV show. Then I thought maybe could make a good comic. Now I'm like, should I just try to write it as a fiction book? Would that work? But Mara, I could totally see you writing IP that you could get yeah. made and like create yeah. an environment that you would have always wanted to yeah. be. Or Something like, that includes the body positivity, like the concepts of like, yeah, people getting naked and drawing each other. Like, it well, could be especially a since like I've had so many health issues the past couple of years. That's right. I think that that's something that that you know people are talking more about, and that's something that I'm talking more about. And so I was like, you know, there are people who write romance novels about you know being disabled. Like Talia Hibbert is a great writer who writes romance novels where you know, the main character has like chronic pain and chronic illness. And, you know, the love interest has to learn, <laughs> you know, what will and what won't make it better and wow. what he can do and what he doesn't have to do. And there's there's things like that. I mean, that's know? hot. It is very hot. <laughs> oh, it's very hot. Yeah, that book is... Um, is that's uh, hot. If my husband like, knew that I needed a heating pad when I was like PMSing, I'd oh, be like... Oh, totally. Yeah, there's like, hot. there's people who write, <laughs> like, there's people who write, write romance novels about endometriosis. Like, one of my friends knew that I had endometriosis so she got me a book uh, that's a romance with a character with endometriosis. There's, you know, there's stuff out there. And the thing is also that, like, I know that there's stuff I want to write that's just going to be fun. And I think there's a part of me that, you know, and this is one thing that I write about. My mother comes from, like, a very competitive family where you have to be the best. You have to be the smartest. You have to be this. You have to be that. And so there's a part of me that's, like, always disappointed that I'm not a genius, that's disappointed that I was never a prodigy, that's disappointed that I'm not, like, you know, a polyglot Oscar winner, you know, Pulitzer Prize winner at 35. Like I secretly always hoped I would be. I knew I wouldn't be, but I always hoped that I would be. Yeah. But like, no, I'm not that person, but it's okay to not be a genius. <laughs> it's okay to be just like regular smart. It's okay to be, <laughs> you know, good at the things that I'm actually good at, which are, you know, being loyal to my friends and picking out good birthday presents for them. And and being good with children and being decent with words and, you know, writing stuff that people, you know, that a certain percentage of the population likes, mm -hmm. you know, like, like you don't have to be Proust. You can be Nora Ephron or you don't even have to be Nora Ephron. You can be somebody who, who, you know, admires Nora Ephron and writes like that. You know, you can be somebody who, 
is liked by a particular group of people and means something to that group of people. But you are exactly that, Mara. You are exactly that for me. I've always thought you were super intelligent. Even before I met you, I was always like, yeah, she got out. She went to yeah. NYU. She's no, I, I mean, I thought that about list. you too. I was always like, oh, she's very smart. And I was I was always slightly jealous of you because you're a much better singer than I am. Awesome. And I was such like a musical theater nerd. And I was like, I wish I could sing like her. I actually hate my singing voice. <laughs> Do you? you? Know that? Yeah. Really? But see, I would like see you singing on Disney Channel. Really? Yeah. It's all filtered. No, I mean, I, I, do, I, I do have a voice, but I mean, I also had nodular surgery. I mean, that's right. a whole other thing. Right. With like Broadway and it was just, I, I rarely sing now, so. Yeah. But I um, I do feel almost like kindred to you. I, I feel like I'm you're one of the f one of the folks that like understands my appreciation and yeah. and connection to you without it being like, you know, oh, I'm not gonna text that person back or oh, this is weird or oh, this is competitive. Like, yeah. and I feel that way about Jeanette's book and I feel that way about your book. And mm -hmm. I feel that, like if I were to do a memoir, I feel like we could, there's room for all of us to support one another's narratives. There's also, yeah, and and I think one thing that you have pointed out is it's not all about it's not just like child actors. There are so many like like musical prodigies. Oh, the high performing high performing children. children. So many, I mean, yeah. Olympic athletes, my god. I went you know? to professional children's school. Like that's yeah. That's like what that's that exists already. There's my my mom didn't want me to go to that. She was like, I want you to be a normal kid. You have to be a normal kid. You have to be a normal kid. Was your mom. Yeah, she yeah. was like probably fighting her stage mom. She was. Yeah, she was. And all the things. Your mom sounds like a, she was a really great lady. She was. I mean, she was a very troubled lady because of all the stuff that went on in mm -hmm. her life. But mm -hmm. there's so much that she taught me that is good. And I think that you kind of have to, you know, maybe succeed where your parents failed, you know, or not succeed where your parents failed, but you have to carry on the good things from them and kind of forgive or at least try to understand mm -hmm. the things. I think that's like the most important thing is, is like to me, a lot of times what people believe is not as interesting to me as why they believe it. Mm. What is it in their life that led them to believe it? Mm -hmm. Because I think that for a long time I would be like, why, why is anybody like this? And then I was like, oh, okay, actually, if I look at their life, if I look at the way they were raised, if I look at their parents, their background, their religion, their, you know, the country they grew up in, the place they grew up in, that tells you what a person is. And I actually think that I kind of have acting to thank for that mm -hmm. because you do have to completely, you have to understand a character. Yeah, you and have to have a backstory. You have to have a backstory and yeah. you have to figure out who these people are and you have to empathize with them. Well, I'm going to be like definitely listening to the book. <laughs> it's been out since April 19th. Yeah. It's 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 all over the charts. We're, we're manifesting. It's like amazing. You can't even get your hands on like it. I would. You only can listen to the audiobook yeah, version. You can't yeah. even get your hands on it. Yeah. We can find it obviously through Scribd. Through Scribd, yes. Exclusively okay. through Scribd. Awesome. And then, you know, onwards and upwards, and you're going to be doing so many more things in the future that I can yeah. only hope to be a part well, of. Well, write something and it'll be like me and Jonathan Lipnicki and like maybe like Daniel Radcliffe and like we'll be playing siblings. I love you it. You know? <laughs> I'll be there. You'll be Haley there. will be there. Everyone Haley will be, be there. there. Yeah. It'll be a fever dream. Yeah. Of, yeah. Awesome. No, let's let's do all the things. Yeah, and also the coalition too. And and that means a lot to me that you're, you know, a part of it. So oh, yeah. It's, it's, that's, that's a labor of love. That's something that. Uh, it's a long-term uh, thing. Yes, it is. It is. <laughs> it's, it's, but we're. But we're, you know, we're in for the long haul with it. Yeah. So lovely to talk to you again. I know. Love you. You too. Love you too. <laughs> Thanks so much for checking out this episode of The Vulnerable Podcast. For clips of this episode, go ahead and check out the Podco YouTube channel. Links in the description.